listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So chapter one of the story, I hope you had a chance to, to read it this week. I promise if you didn't, your membership will not be affected in any way. Uh, but chapter one of the story is an action-packed drama filled with these well-known characters that pop up again and again. There are a number of people in the scriptures that you'll see that they make appearances here and they pop up again and again. So it's not just kind of a once-and-done sort of thing. So first, there's a story of creation and fall in Genesis 1 through 3, right? God creates the whole world out of nothing. Maybe you've heard the the phrase ex nihilo. This means God creates out of nothing. It's not like the way that we create. We don't take, he didn't take some some pre-existing wood and form a chair. No, God spoke things into existence over the course of seven days. The first few days, you notice there's kind of a pattern here. The first few days, he creates and he divides and he separates So he creates the space, the waters, the heavens, and then in the last few days of creation, he fills those spaces with things like stars and sun and moon and birds and animals and reptiles. And then finally, on day six, the crowning jewel of God's creation, humankind, right? Adam and Eve. And they enjoy this perfect, intimate fellowship with God in paradise. But then what happens? Well, the the serpent enters the picture, right? Who we discover later on in Scripture, the serpent is Satan, the devil, the the enemy. And he tempts Eve with the fruit. She gives some to Adam, and he eats. The two of them, they disobey God, and the whole world breaks. So sin and death enter the picture right away at the very beginning of this book. They're banished from the Garden of Eden. And yet, even there, God promises a Savior who's going to come again to make all things right. We'll talk about that more. After creation and fall, we move into the tragic story of of Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve's two boys, there's some fighting between the two. I don't know if you've noticed, but this happens sometimes between siblings, like a little bit of this, right? Anybody identify with that? I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, But we have Cain and Abel, and Cain ends up killing Abel, murders him in cold blood. He becomes a wanderer on the earth as punishment, but here too we see God's grace at work, because what does God do? Well, he puts a mark on Cain so that no one will attack him, and he preserves his life, even though Cain deserved nothing but death. And then finally we have the flood. God sees how, how wrong everything is gone, how mankind's thoughts are only sinful, all the time, so he sends a flood to destroy all life on earth. So there's judgment here, and yet there is salvation because he preserves Noah and his family as well as the animals through the ark. Basically, it's a, it's a second creation. And finally, what does God do? He puts this rainbow in the sky, right? This beautiful visual reminder of his promise that he would never again destroy the earth. This is the first covenant in all of Scripture. There are kind of four major covenants in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and on into the New, and that's number one of them. So there's a quick flyover of chapter one. This morning, though, what I want to do is I want to double-click on one part of this vast swath of Scripture. You're going to notice as we go through the story, 
it's not going to be just 10 verses that we read and kind of talk through, right? This is going to be chapter upon chapter. So the plan is to kind of zoom in on one thing in particular during the message. And today I want us to wrestle with the question, why am I here? Why am I here? And if you're like me, your reaction might be similar to the picture you see displayed on the screen. What is my purpose? If you're a Christian, you'd put it like this. Why did God create me? But even if you're not a Christian, this is a question that is still deeply important, and I wonder if you would be able to give a good answer to it. Why am I here? It's a question that's puzzled everyone from the the most ancient philosophers thousands of years ago to the college freshmen considering what their major is going to be. Why am I here? This is my purpose. And there's no shortage of answers that have been put forward. Probably these will sound familiar to you. You are here to change the world. You are here to make a difference. You are here to be the best version of yourself. You are here to find happiness. If you're Bob Dylan, you're here to be groovy. So what about you? Why are you here today? Here's what I want to suggest, though. In order to answer that question, we have to back up and ask another more basic question. Who am I? Who am I as a human being? When we ask that question, we're going to discover that the first few chapters of Genesis actually have a lot to say about that. So first off, human beings are beautiful. That's number one. Human beings are beautiful. Listen to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion over the fish of the sea. I need to have a talk with God about that, because on most of my fishing trips, I kind of feel like it's gone the other way around. As you read through the first chapter of Genesis, did you notice, though, the the pronouncement that God makes at the end of the days? What does he say? It says, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Kind of this pronouncement again and again. Everything is as it should be. But then when he creates human beings on the sixth day, he says something a little bit different. Do you remember what he says? It is very good. And God saw that it is, that it was very good. Good. Human beings are different from the rest of creation. See, what the Bible tells us, what Scripture teaches is that we, you and me, are made in the image of God. We mirror God in a unique way that the rest of creation does not. See, every single human being bears the fingerprints of their almighty creator. Isn't that amazing to think about? Every single person you run across in this life is stamped with the image of God. We don't stop to marvel at that, really, do we? 
We'll marvel at other things in creation. We'll, we'll drive to the Black Hills, or we'll go to see the Rockies, or we'll, we'll go to Alaska and say, wow, isn't this, isn't this phenomenal? But how many of you walk by a mirror in the morning and say the same thing? I love what St. Augustine says about this. He says, people travel to wonder at the height of the mountains, at the huge waves of the seas, at the long course of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. The next time you pass by a mirror and catch a glimpse of yourself in it, I encourage you to stop and say a little prayer. Thank you, God, for creating me. You are made in God's image. You are uniquely designed by God. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139, 13 through 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows that full well. You're knitted together in your mother's womb. That's quite the image, isn't it? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even before you were born, God wove you and you and you together with a particular thread, a particular pattern, a, a particular texture and color and shape. Your personality, whatever it is, introvert, extrovert, somewhere in between, that's not a burden, that's not a weakness, it is a gift. Something else that's really unique about humans is that we are the only creatures with language. Now, other creatures can communicate with one another, but only human beings have language. That means we can praise God with our words. I love what Martin Luther says about this. He says, there is no more noble work for human beings than to speak, especially since the ability to speak is what most clearly distinguishes human beings from other animals. I think it's important to remember when we think about creation that God didn't actually have to create us at all. He didn't. The fact that we exist in the first place is sheer gift. Remember, God lacks nothing, right? God is whole. He is complete in and of himself. It's easy to forget that our sheer existence is a gift. You know, a lot of times we'll use the word grace and we'll automatically jump to the New Testament, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's kind of the word, the acronym we use to understand that. And it's a good one and it's true. But the truth is that grace starts way back here in creation. Way back in the Genesis account. When God creates, brings forth something out of nothing. The fact that you can move your fingers, catch a baseball... Enjoy food, run, breathe, sleep, work, play. All of that is due to God's mercy. And theologian Oswald Beyer puts it like this. He says, to be a human means to have undeserved existence, that which is purely indebted to another. To be a human means to have undeserved existence. That's the, the first piece of the puzzle we need to understand is that human beings are beautiful. Number two, 
The second thing we need to know is that human beings are broken. Genesis 3, 6 through 7 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Insert obligatory husband-wife joke there. Uh, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, this is what we call the fall, the most tragic day of human existence. Adam and Eve enjoyed this, this perfect relationship with God, but they disobeyed. Get this, God gives them one rule in creation, right? One rule. You may eat from, from any of the fruit of the trees of the garden, from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat one rule. What do they do? Break that rule right out of the gate. So sin enters God's perfect creation. Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they break the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I would hear about this in confirmation class, I would kind of think, well, that's not really fair. <laughs> like, I wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. I didn't get the choice to, to choose to take the fruit or to not take the fruit. What's going on here? Like Adam and Eve, they, they're the ones that messed up. How, how can I be held responsible for, for what somebody else did? That's not cool. Here's the thing, though, and this is key. Adam and Eve are you and me. They are archetypes. They're archetypes. And that means they represent you and me and all of humanity. The same blood courses through our veins as theirs, so we share in their disobedience. When Adam sinned, Pastor Luke sinned. You sinned. Here's what Romans 5.12 says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Who sinned? All. Not some. Not most. Not just the really bad ones. Not just Adam. Not just Eve. All. And when sin came, death followed after, along with a long list of curses. And here's what, what that boils down to. Everything wrong in our world today can be traced back to that one fateful day in the garden. War and bloodshed and poverty and violence and abuse of power and, and lack of justice. Sickness and wheelchairs and oxygen tanks. Divorce and broken families and backstabbing friends. Anxiety and depression and suicide, alcoholism and addiction and abuse, all stems from the fall. If something makes you sad, if something makes you hurt, if something makes you cry, that's where it came from. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit and broke the world, the image of God was, was shattered and was devastated. So now, unlike Adam and Eve, who were born with free wills, we are born into sin. As it says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. The bottom line is that we're not okay anymore 
We're not like Adam and Eve enjoying long walks with God in the cool of the day. Instead, we want things that are bad for us. We step on others to get them. We're always looking out for number one, and we think the world revolves around us. And this isn't just because of the bad choices that we make. It's the default, out-of-the-box condition of the human heart. We're no longer whole. We're, we're separated from God, the source of all goodness and love and mercy. The wages of our sin is what? Is death. Physical death, yes, but eternal death as well, eternal separation from God. See, apart from Christ, we are all hell-bound. We stand before God's throne, and we can only plead guilty, deserving eternal condemnation. We are beautiful, yes, but we are broken. And yet, God loved us too much to let us stay in this broken state. And that brings us to our third point. We are redeemed. Humans are beautiful, broken, and redeemed. Here's my favorite part of chapter 1. It's just one verse, chapter 1 of the story, meaning the whole creation account. That could get to be confusing a little bit, huh? Um, just one verse, Genesis 3.15, and this is actually God talking to Satan, his enemy, and he's pronouncing a curse on him. And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, we read through that. We've read it so many times, it just kind of, we, we pass right by. But this is what theologians call the proto-evangelion. It's a fancy word. It just means the pre-gospel. Proto meaning first, evangelion meaning gospel. This is a promise that the male descendant, the seed of Eve, would come to defeat Satan, to fix the world that Adam and Eve broke, and to save us from our sins. So who might this be talking about? Hint, it's a Sunday school answer. Jesus. Already we have Jesus in the opening pages of the Old Testament. Already God is writing the ending of his story and he's not going to let Satan or sin or death or anything derail his plans. Satan would strike Jesus at the cross, right? There would be some pain. Jesus would feel the weight of that, the full brunt of the Father's wrath against sin. He inflicted some temporary damage, but Jesus would ultimately crush his head there too. As Cal read for us this morning, Jesus is the second Adam. See, where the first Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed the will of his father perfectly. And where that first Adam gave in to temptation, Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted by Satan, and he did what? He defeated him. Jesus, the second Adam, succeeds where we, the first Adam, fail. Romans 5, 17 and 19 says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. God is telling this beautiful story of redemption. And he's letting us know that he is going to do it. 
that he is going to accomplish it and how he is going to accomplish that. So the only question is, are you willing to receive it? Do you recognize your brokenness and your need for redemption? Are you willing to to drop the mask, to put down your guard and, and to pray, Lord Jesus, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I can't fix me on my own. Please save me. God has redeemed us and we receive the benefits of that redemption by faith in Christ alone. Who are we? We are beautiful, we are broken, and we are redeemed. That's who we are. So let's revisit the question we asked at the very beginning. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Is it to change the world or to be the best version of myself or to make a a difference? Now, in their own way, I think all of those responses are aiming at something good, but they miss the mark. Because if my purpose is to change the world, what happens if I don't see a noticeable change in the world around me? And if I'm here to be the best version of myself, what happens when I wake up tomorrow and I'm half the version that I was yesterday? What happens on those days when I regress? And if I'm only here to make a difference, what happens when I don't quite have the horsepower to pull it off? So perhaps a more biblical answer, a better answer to the question of why am I here An answer deeply rooted in the the story of Genesis is this. I am here to be beloved by God. He created me. He redeemed me because he loved me and he wanted someone upon whom to lavish his love and his mercy. He created you to be his beloved son and daughter. And with you, dear Christian, he is well pleased. May that truth sink deep into your marrow so that it gets so deep it overflows in good works toward your neighbor and that we would share this good news with others so many more would come to experience the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.